Hello and welcome to Alice is Everywhere, the world's only podcast devoted entirely to Lewis Carroll and his creations Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. My name is Heather and I've got a special treat this week. It's a guest. I recently had a lovely conversation with Anne Martinez, the creator of a wildly entertaining Alice in Wonderland show in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Anne is a multi-talented performer. She's a powerhouse of a singer, a wonderful actress and dancer, and she's got a master's degree in show creation. But most importantly, she's one of us. She's obsessed with Alice. She reads everything she can get her hands on about Lewis Carroll. You will discover very quickly while listening to her expound that she knows her stuff. Quick warning, you'll hear a little bit of awkward editing during this episode. That's for several reasons. One, Anne and I got to chatting so long that I needed to cut it down for length. Two, I recorded us over the phone, and it mostly sounds good, but a few words here and there got garbled or dropped out altogether, as so often happens with cellular telephones. Lastly, I took out a lot of my side of the conversation. Anne is so eloquent and has so much to say about her show and the creative process, and my contributions to the conversation were mostly comments such as, wow, or that's awesome. Also, without a script, apparently I say like and you know approximately every other word, which was rather alarming to discover. Uh, Some background on Alice, a steampunk concert fantasy. That's the full name, Alice, a steampunk concert fantasy. It has gone through several different iterations over the years and played at a number of venues in Las Vegas. The show involves a live band, songs you know and love, everything from classic rock to country to 90s grunge to current pop hits. There is a stupidly talented cast. These people are all veterans of other shows on the Strip, from Zombie Burlesque to Jubilee to Chippendales, and they bring to life characters such as the White Rabbit, the Duchess, the White Knight, the Red Knight, Cheshire Cat. This show is not a faithful retelling of the books. It is taking these characters we hold so dear and creating something new and exciting with them. And I really think you will enjoy hearing, you know... Someone besides me lent her thoughts and theories and opinions on the Alice books and our friend L.C. I try to mostly stick to the facts when I'm relaying info to you, my loyal listeners, but my biases and personal commentary certainly pervade every single episode. So now you'll get a little more balance, at least for today, and hear from someone totally different. Without further ado, let's talk to Anne Martinez, creator of the musical Alice. Hi, Anne. This is Heather from Alice is Everywhere. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm so good, and I'm so happy to be talking to you about your steampunk Alice musical in Las Vegas. Yes. Now, your Alice show. I saw it for the first time in July of 2015, I think at the Hard Rock. <laughs> and then I saw it in April of 2016 at the uh, Brooklyn Bowl, which is part of the Link Complex in Vegas. So where is the show now? We are currently at uh, the Red Rock Hotel, which is uh, at the Red Rock Casino. Mm-hmm. So we're in the Red Rock Lounge which is a really cool, very unique room. And it's actually got the intimacy that I've been wanting. So we've gone from small venue to very large to just the right size. Excellent. With, um, with where I'm at uh, artistically with the show and where I want it to be. So it's been a really cool uh, journey because we always re 
organize, re-block, if you will, the show, depending on our space. We uh-huh. really let the space speak to us in its own Wonderland-esque kind of way. <laughs> when I first saw it, there were very few aerial components to it, but now there's quite a bit, right? Yes. So I had always wanted to have an aerial component um, just because I love the idea of of a fantasy of Wonderland where there are no rules. So that was kind of the idea behind it as opposed to like, oh, let's just do some aerial tricks. It was really much more of a, you know, almost like a breaking of the fourth wall. We just, we break the the hemisphere. So when we were in, uh, let's see, Brooklyn Bowl, we kind of finagled some (laughs) rigging. (laughs) Uh, And then in this new room, um, we, the hotel is extremely generous and they installed two aerial points for us. And, um, I have a chain motor, so we started with just the one point with our Lyra, mm-hmm. and then um, I had been designing in my head a apparatus that was unique to our show. So my husband and I kind of had this idea, and then we pulled two of our cast members, uh, April and Michael, who um, who you haven't seen perform yet. He's wonderful as the White Knight. Oh, excellent. Yeah, he's great, and they are our aerial choreographers and coaches, and they sat down with us and we kind of sketched out this idea of a 3D teapot. And the teapot is the apparatus these characters use to come in and out of this particular wonderland. Oh my gosh. As, I've seen the so, pictures of the, the Lyra teapot on, on Instagram yeah, and it is amazing. It's very <laughs> exciting. Uh, uh, my husband, John Martinez, uh, he engineered it and it's extremely exciting because it is off kilter on purpose. So you can really tip it like a teapot and then uh when it spins i mean it gets some speed but depending on if you're on the handle spout uh the weight changes really predict how the teapot will move so it's been really fun to kind of figure out all of our tricks and then i also added an aerial silk uh hammock for april um and i reconstructed all of act two so the the idea of the show when you see it's a completely different show you'll be very surprised but the idea in this wonderland and alice came down and she smoked from the hookah and she wasn't supposed to. Oh, and that okay. turned her into Isila, which is Alice backwards. Mm-hmm. And that role is played by Ashley Fuller. So as punishment, she has to trap each Alice that comes down every day and <laughs> her and the creatures of Wonderland seduce her and get her to feel comfortable and they get her to smoke from the hookah and they steal, that'll kill her. They steals her soul and they put it into a, a lantern and they take that light to the Red Queen as a gift. Oh and that is her fate. Well, in this particular day, this Alice survives. And when she survives, chaos ensues. So all the characters realize that they could escape. Oh. So after um, Act 1, when we go straight into Act 2, it's each character having a solo moment musically and artistically. You see their characters change where our a white knight, you know, becomes strong. He and he's very much representational of Lewis Carroll and his um, uh-huh. quirkiness and his insecurity. But where he found his strength and masculinity was in his work and his confidence. So this character, you know, starts out, you know, much more afraid and then becomes very, very strong. And then our our Duchess, you know, she represents the the frustration Lewis Carroll had with Elizabethan or not Elizabethan, excuse me, Victorian England uh-huh. and. Um, I say Elizabeth because I'm in the middle of a book. <laughs> Frustration with Victorian England. And so her number, you know, she starts to gain her strength and all of these characters start to grow. And they, as a team, uh, fight the Red Knight, who is the last character. And the Red Knight and the Red King in Looking Glass were representational of his 
Lewis Carroll's frustration with the, the ignoring that was going on of the common man, in his opinion. So they fight their way to the Red Queen, and then she grants the escape to those who want to leave. And then we find out at the end of the show who leaves Wonderland and who stays. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Now, this is why I wanted my listeners to hear this, is because you're not just someone who, like, saw the Disney movie a few times. It was one of the first books I ever read as a child. I was seven when I first read the book. And then uh, I saw the cartoon, of course. And then my parents were wonderful and would go to every video store and try to find me any and every version of House of Wonderland from British TV, film, anything and I just devoured all of it and I've always enjoyed his works and then when I got older you know I started to read more of his poetry and his political opinions I found very interesting and just who he was as a human and the polarizing opinions that people have about Alice in Wonderland some people really think it's all about drugs and it's all about and I'm like oh no 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 actually no so it's you know, I immediately when I was it got out that I was writing this show, people were like, oh, you have to put the song White Rabbit in. Right. And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, for two reasons. One, it's so predictable. Right. And two, that's not what I believe, you know, he intended. I don't think he intended the book to be about drug use at all. It was about he had an obsession with food and he had his own quirkiness in his own life and his own little isms that I think infiltrated the book and of course you know the simplicity of a hookah is like oh well it's drugs it's like Uh well at the time india was very popular it was the new thing with the imperialism there it was something popular i've also played on the idea of my core characters uh the caterpillar the treasure cat and the white rabbit they transition from human to animal we really just we go more into that oh cool uh, especially so you get to see which of them become hum- more human-like and why, and which become more like an animal and why. Wow. So we, I'm blessed with uh, all the people who are in the show. I handpicked for a reason, and they're all excellent uh, dancers, but they are incredible actors. So I ask a lot of them physically and emotionally in the show to encompass what we feel this wonderland is and also staying true to the you know opinions and imagination of Lewis Carroll. And that's yeah. how the entire cast is. They're very, very from you know claudia and april as the caterpillar and the duchess you know i've really pushed them emotionally to go places that i know are difficult and then michael and ryan as the knights you know they have a lot of responsibility physically but also emotionally because they have to encompass a lot of lewis carroll as a man and then jeffrey and aldolfo as my cheshire cat and white rabbit Uh you know i ask a lot of them and you know jeffrey is also our costume designer so all of our costumes are designed by wow. Jeffrey DeBarathy, and he constructs everything. So they're all original pieces. So I'll kind of come up with an idea, and then he and I sit down, and he's just brilliant. And Adolfo Barreto is our white rabbit. He's also our makeup designer. So in my rewriting of Act 2, I read a, a really great, just like a summary, opinion summary on uh, Looking Glass. And uh, they were talking about how the you know the Red King's always falling asleep, and mm-hmm. he just won't pay attention to Alice, and you know, it was Lewis Carroll's frustration. I was like, what if all of these characters grow and this one just refuses? And it's that frustration of, you know, not being heard. All these characters are ready to enter the gate. They all are having their kind of like their Wizard of Oz moment where they're ready to meet the queen mm-hmm. and they can't because of this last presence. So what happens before that is um, I use the, the song Mouth by Bush. And, uh, and one of the elements in the show are these red pieces of cloth and all of them the characters carry them throughout and when they all smoke the hookah to get Alice to smoke them they're tied up specifically with these red pieces and it's the part of them that they can't 
use freely. Uh-huh. And in their solos, they release themselves from these moments. Well, for the Duchess, April Leopardi's character, she, her mouth is cut off. So I found this song Mouth by Bush, which is like a 90s grunge, like throwback. Uh-huh. And her whole piece is, as she takes off this piece from her mouth, a giant red silk hammock comes in, like a giant red piece comes in. Oh, wow. And she climbs into it and does this beautiful aerial piece where she, instead of drowning in it, she becomes stronger than. And once she drops down, all of the characters come forward. And then we go straight into uh, Last Resort by Papa Roach. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that is the big battle. So now we all fight mm-hmm. the Red Knight. And it is an extremely violent, athletic, crazy number that we put together in our new Act 2. So some of the new stuff we've added, um, let's see, Time in a Bottle. We've added uh, Wicked Game. And these are all you know different arrangements, of course. And we put in a Believer by uh, Imagine Dragons. For a little local uh, flavor there. Oh, yeah, a little local flavor. We've got, some more, we've got some Paul Simon in there, you know, Papa Roach, Bush. I really wanted to put some more 90s. I love 90s grunge uh, because I just feel like it it is and was so raw and, and emotional, but also very masculine. So it was kind of like putting in that, like, aggressive but still emotional feel to these characters as they grow. We've put in uh, Queen, the Killer Queen, <laughs> and uh, uh, the Queen of the Night as well. And I'm also... Not this show, but our show in June will be putting, hopefully putting in some uh, Marilyn Manson pieces. And we've also added Metallica and some other stuff at the beginning of the show. Um, Everybody wants to rule the world, you know, some Mm -hmm. things that we really have delved into musically that we we feel explains the story. Mm -hmm. But I don't ever want to spoon feed the audience, but I don't ever want to leave them hanging. So that's always been the, the challenge with Alice is that we never wanted to push too much, but we also don't want to leave you know, too much ambiguity. Like we wanted to right. still give them something. So, and that's, what's so great about Lewis Carroll's stories. You know, he's Alice Wonderland and Alice of the Looking Glass are just so inventive and exciting. And there's so, there's always something small you'll find in those books. Even if you've read them 55 billion times, yep. <laughs> you'll read them again and be like, oh, I didn't even realize the mock turtle when he says such and such, it's about this and the opinion on that. It's always so fun. Oh, there's always yeah. something special and new. I mean, one of the things I, I discovered, I always go back and read it, you know, before I start writing. And um, one of the things I loved was you know, just the discussion of the gloves. Always talking about gloves, gloves, uh-huh. gloves. And then I, I've read this wonderful biography about Lewis Carroll, and it was discussing how um, they found gloves under the floorboards in the house where he grew up, <laughs> along with, like, little toys and trinkets that he and his siblings had made. Oh, wow. I just thought that was such a beautiful moment. You know, the glove is our hands, how we connect, and... Uh-huh you know, his shyness and his own personality and the delicacy of a white glove and all those things you can add to it. And I loved that it was something that he held dear to, to hide away. Yeah, that's amazing. Just, it was just such a neat thing. So now when I read that section of the book, I always, it's different to me now. Yeah. And, and I've read that he wore long gloves a lot as an adult, but I think I've only read that in one place and I never liked to Like, it's so funny you know, he was he was the 1800s. This wasn't like ancient times, but there's so much conflicting info out there. He was a quirky guy. Yeah. I mean, from what I've I've read so many different things about him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it makes you wonder if there was an element of maybe like Asperger's yeah, autism on the spectrum or something, or maybe just a, a quirky person or just, you know, the, right. inte- the extreme intelligence he had. You know, it's so frustrating because I wish, I wish there was more there. But, you know, of course... 
we hear secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand right. people actually interacted with him, and the girls themselves, their opinions on him are conflicting. Yeah, yeah. And and the the history behind you know him and uh, Alice and her sister was uh-huh. there an engagement? Was there not an engagement? You know, it's kind of like this constant back and forth. So he's just shrouded in mystery, yeah. which I hate and love at the same right. time. Right? Yeah. I mean, because we'll you know? we will never know. We'll never know. When I was getting my um, master's degree, I did an extensive piece on Henry Darger, who um, was an outside artist, but he did a lot of uh, paintings of of children, of girls, and uh-huh. that's how he expressed, you know, his. he wrote a 5,000-page novel right. that uh, has never been released, and they found all these paintings, which are illustrations, and of course, they're just just incredible. And uh, it made me think of Lewis Carroll and the innocence of the female child and how he didn't feel their judgment until he was older. And that has always broken my heart about him is that, you know, that that feeling of freedom mm-hmm. when we're around somebody and then we feel free to be artistic. And then when we don't feel that freedom, we shut down. And so when we have been creating Alice, it's always been really important to me that my cast has always felt heard and also you know they're they are intelligent lovely you know brave artistic humans and i love hearing their opinions about it you know i i give them very specific to very broad things and so because i don't want to give them too much or too little i want them to to grow and and to see how they feel and to watch them and their interpretations of the role like especially like there's certain like aldolfo's creation of the white rabbit i give him very little he is very physical in his embodiment of the rabbit and the little things that he does are so interesting and brilliant i almost like i don't want him to know (laughs) because it's so raw and and exciting so I, i i will give him more of a broad stroke whereas um claudia and and april are both very very intelligent women and they they think very specifically about their performances in life. So I will give them in depth to the key, like <laughs> writings by Lewis Carroll, opinions, mm-hmm. what that character was, what it meant to this person. I can get really specific in there and they'll pull like two things out that they want to use and it's brilliant. Wow. So it just kind of depends on my actors. And, and um, you know, Ryan is very uh, cerebral in his approach. So I have to give him certain things a certain way. But that's what I love about the cast is that, and, you know, with Michael, Michael's embodiment of Lewis Carroll, I've been able to kind of give him some really difficult challenges that he, um, as a dancer and as an, as an aerialist, he's an extraordinary aerialist, okay. how he's embodied that. And Ashley as well, you know, she, I trust her so much with the character, uh, and I've really left her alone to build it on her own so it feels honest. But at the same time, you know, every once in a while I'll come in and, and say, you know, you can be crueler. You can be... <laughs> more of my opposite yeah you know, don't feel like you you know embody what you think is building under underneath be that looking glass be the other side don't be afraid to to use your your power to to be this this character that's a bully and then what happens to the character when she realizes it all doesn't matter wow where does she go from there so yeah it's it's a very it's a fun group i mean the first time i heard her sing i literally thought like i found the voice i found <sighs> thinking of in my head that yeah. I, could, I hadn't found personally yet. And she's, she's just one of those people that uh, she's so incredibly humble and is so gifted, but she's also extremely brave. Like I, I give her some hard things to do and she just jumps, you know, Jeffrey, our Cheshire cat, he's a dancer. And, you know, I, he told me he's sung before and I've given him much more to sing in the show. So it's cool too. Oh, that we've now got this, 
beautiful baritone voice coming in, and it's very raw and honest. It's just fun. It's so great. I feel like I'm getting to know them so much more, and I can't emphasize mm-hmm. enough. When you see the show, this all comes across because they are all so talented. They're capable of communicating all of this. They're all fabulous, and that's the thing is, you know, I, I do ask a lot of them, and it's a lot on them physically, emotionally. You know, it's a hard show. We made it that way on purpose, though, because... Mm-hmm. They are all superhuman. <laughs> they are all superhuman in their in their discovery, in their artistry, just their own their own intelligence of how they look at things and how things feel to them and how they embrace the books and how they embrace the here and now. You know, they also are so together. Everyone's just so together, you know, because mm-hmm. what we do is so intricate. You know, if you go the wrong way, an inch of foot's in your face. So you have to really be paying attention and you can't kind of flutter off into your own world. And that takes a lot of trust. Oh, yeah. And and they are extremely brave to do what I ask them to do. I mean, every every time we do a show afterwards, my husband and I get in the car and I'm like, yeah, we just got away with it. And we, you know, as the show has grown, I've, I've taken my time with it. Um, because, you know, Ryan and I, when I was writing the show, he expressed interest as a co-director. And that has been an interesting transition for me as well, because he comes at the works completely differently, just, just from being a boy, you know, how he sees things and how he views things. So it's always been so cool to see his side. And then when we create a new number, you know, I kind of give him the guidelines and then I step back. Mm-hmm. And I've done that with, with all of them, with our aerial work. You know, I've told April and Michael, you know, it, yes, we're doing aerial work, but it's not about the, the moves that they're doing, it's mm-hmm. the why. Because the, aerial work is so beautiful, but what makes it ex- just absolutely extravagant is when it doesn't look like they're doing moves yeah. and tricks. It becomes honesty and also, you know, a reason. And creating the teapot aerial piece, I feel like artistically, it gave April and Michael a, a whole new playground where they have built some really clever artistic moments. Claudia, our caterpillar, has got such a unique style about her. And her new, uh, her new solo in Wicked Game, I just said, look, this is where you're going. This is where I need you to end. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you want. <laughs> nice. And, and watching her build that piece and then seeing her perform it was it was emotional to watch because it was so beautiful because I understood exactly what she was doing, why she was doing it, and where. And that's how all of them are. You know, Jeffrey... And embracing the cat and I, I, I push him, you know, cause he's such a sweet person. I'm always like, you can be mean, you can be mean, you can be a jerk. And he's like, Oh, okay. And the embodiment they, they embrace with the makeup and the costumes, you know, we're wearing all these neo Victorian steampunk designs and with its own little quirk and crazy hair and makeup and April sister, Krista does all of our hair. So, I love you know, that everything is such a family affair. Isn't Ashley's husband yeah. the band leader as well? Or yes, Ashley's yeah. husband's our MD. And we've since added uh, Sage West as a violinist. So now I oh, have nice. Sage West as a violinist and uh, Crystal Yuan is our viola player. And then Aaron, our MD, he has a musical instrument he actually had constructed. That's almost like a mashup of a cello, violin, and viola plays. So we've really broadened our musical Mm-hmm. Horizons, and we're still we're still broadening them because we, you know, I always wanted it to be nebulous and continual. You know, it's going to be very hard the day that we 
you know, go full time, that I'll have to stop the creative process. Yeah. That will be very hard for me. As close as we can possibly get, we're getting real close. So I'm excited. Wow. Wow. And so when can everyone see this next? We Our next show is April the 9th okay. at Red Rock. And at 9 o'clock, we start our pre-show. They come and are characters from the books. And it's a kind of an environmental theater process. So as you come into the theater, you're going to see all these characters walking around. And all of a sudden, they burst into performance and then just fade off. So it's a cool environment to get ready and see the show in. And then at 10 o'clock, we start our show. And we've got a brand new prologue going in that I just wrote. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm like, oh, gosh. Okay, here we go. (laughs) So it's going to be really fun. But I'm I'm very, very excited. And then um, I've got a few more little things to fix. But every show we do is every every other month, the second Monday. Okay. All right. We're April 9th, and then we'll be back um, June 11th. Okay, I can't do April, but I think I can come in June. So I have to see yeah, these updates. Yay. It's going to be great. And uh, we every show that we do this year will have something different, a new song, a new awesome. number. So it's going to be really cool. And where can people see you every day of the week, practically, uh, your day job? I, I uh, Tuesday through Sunday at 8 o'clock at the Palazzo Theater at the Palazzo Las Vegas. Mm. I play Satine in Baz, a musical mashup, which is a new musical it was written by For the Record, which is an amazing company. And what we've they've done is it is the stories of The Great Gatsby, Romeo and Juliet, and The Moulin Rouge, and Strictly Ballroom from Baz Luhrmann. And they have done a complete intersecting mashup of those love stories. Oh, my God. So all the music and the beautiful images from those films are in one musical with an amazing live band, all live singing, and incredible dancing. So it's, it's, that show is just such a beautiful gift. And it's a really, really cool experience. I am dying to see that show. That has, like, everything I love and nothing I don't. I love all those movies. I didn't know Strictly Ballroom was involved, too. That's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, let me know when you're in town, and I will hook you up. Oh, (laughs) thank you. Awesome. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this. I'm so excited to see all the new stuff. And, yeah, as I've explained to my listeners, I love it when people just take the characters and go off and do their own thing. You know, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, we need to do only strict interpretations of these books. I feel like these characters belong to everybody. So I just love what you're doing and how much thought goes into it. And it's just amazing. Oh, thank you. It's just so fun. Yeah. It's always been my favorite. I just, I still love it. I still have my Alice in Wonderland cassettes. Uh that's great yeah I still remember my I read it for the first time when I was seven as well I feel like it has more of an impression I feel like that's the magic age of seven personally to hear it for the first time but uh oh yeah mine was uh one of those companion library books that it was yeah and the other side was five little peppers and how they grew which uh that did not really stand the test of time quite as much as alice no No, five little peppers isn't gonna do anything (laughs) no but yeah that was my my first copy of of alice's adventures in wonderland was from the companion library series i will always remember it yeah that's dope all right well thank you again and i will talk to you soon hopefully see you soon maybe in june thank you okay Bye. bye isn't Anne just the nicest I really hope to see this latest incarnation of Alice in Las Vegas in June or maybe August. If you'd like to see my previous reviews of Alice, a steampunk concert fantasy, I have a lot of trouble getting those words out, they are on the aliceseverywhere.com blog. 
You can also see some of the gorgeous costumes. My husband took some really nice photos that are featured in the second review. If you'd like to follow the journey of this ever-evolving musical, The Alice Show is active on several different social media platforms, such as Facebook, Twitter, and especially Instagram. A lot of the cast has some very stimulating Instagram accounts as well, such as Jeffrey, the Cheshire Cat slash costume designer, Adolfo, the white rabbit slash makeup artist, April, the duchess slash showgirl extraordinaire. So I will post some links to that on my social media accounts. If you'd like to see Anne and Baz, there happens to be a great deal on tickets on couponpuppet.com. You can save over $20 per ticket if you go to see Baz. We've got a bunch of other great show deals as well, including Cirque du Soleil. One last bit of housekeeping. The Lewis Carroll Society of North America is holding its spring meeting in just a few weeks here in sunny Southern California. And guess what? I'm speaking! Actually, that's a bit of an exaggeration. They didn't just hand me a speaking slot and say, Heather, please, please, please bless us with your unique perspective. And that did not happen. What did happen is I am hosting for one hour. They're having what they're calling a pop-up exhibit in which members can bring their favorite piece of Alice memorabilia or maybe their favorite copy of the book or pretty much anything Alice or Lewis Carroll that holds special meaning to that person. And then they're going to present it to the group, kind of a scholarly, smarty-pants show-and-tell. So I will be wrangling that whole scenario, (laughs) keeping it moving with my special brand of bluntness. Lewis Carroll Society of North America meetings are free and open to the public. If any of you will be in Los Angeles, April 13th or 14th, the meeting is downtown at USC. My segment will be Friday, April 13th at 1.30 p.m., I will be sure to barrage you all with more information on social media over the next week or so. Thanks for listening, everybody. If I don't catch you in L.A. or maybe seeing a show in Vegas, talk soon.